0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 12-14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, for months now, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, that's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and these chapters are what, what are known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is literally the best sermon that's ever been preached uh, in the history of humanity. Jesus has gone up on a hillside, he's teaching his disciples, those people who have followed him up there, uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like, and what he's doing, like any good preacher here, he, he's He's laying out a compelling vision about what life could be like. He, he's saying, "This is what kingdom life lives here and now looks like. This is how you uh, flourish as a human. This is what the good life is." And now we're coming to the passage or, or this last section of of the uh, of the sermon on the mount, where he's actually calling people to action. We'll start to see this here um, as he's talking about uh, the two paths and the two trees and uh, building your house on the rock. Jesus is saying, hey, it's time for you to do something with this information that I've been giving you. And so as he casts this vision of heaven invading earth, here's what it looks like for humans to live kingdom life here. And now he's been portraying the beauty and the grace and the honor and the joy of this kind of life. And now, like a good preacher, Jesus is basically summing up his whole sermon here in verse 12, which is helpful. If, it's very convenient. If, if you're just joining us, like here it is. It's sort of like the whole sermon on the mount in a nutshell, or if you've fallen asleep, which I, it's not very probable for the people who are on the hillside with Jesus to fall asleep. This is pretty fascinating stuff that Jesus is pre- uh, presenting to them. But, but if you have fallen asleep as I'm preaching, which might be likely, uh, here's the spark note. For this, here's here's how we summarize this whole thing. Let me read it. It's verse twelve. Jesus says, "So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets." Now, this is more than likely a passage, a verse that sounds familiar. You've probably heard this before. Um, It's known as the Golden Rule, right? So, Jesus is saying, like, the kingdom of heaven, this is what it feels like. Everybody is doing to other people what they would like to be done to themselves, right? It's like this beautiful dance of the kingdom of heaven. Things are just going well. People are getting along because they're treating other people how they want to be treated. Now, I have to confess here, as a preacher, This might be the most boring verse I've ever had to preach on. It's because, like, everybody gets it. Like, it's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of complexity to this, right? It's like, well, how do you want to be treated? Well, I want to be treated lovingly. I want to be treated graciously. I want to be treated fairly and honestly. It's like, okay, well, go do it. All right, sermon over. It's not necessarily complicated in theory. And because of this, this statement is widely applauded, widely accepted. It's not just something that Christians latch onto. We see it like scattered through everything. It's like... Embedded in Disney movies, it's it's in employee handbooks. You like honestly the uh, the Kentucky. I found this out. Uh, the, the Kentucky driver's guide, like the manual, if you're going to start driving in, in the state of Kentucky, they're going to say, you know, drive the way that you want other people to drive. Right? It's embedded in a bunch of different pieces of our of our culture. Not only that, every major religion has some sort of statement that sounds very similar to this. This is a statement. That Jesus makes that's hardly original and even the nuns like not the nuns like the people you know not not the old ladies in the Catholic Church but the nuns the people who claim no sort of religious affiliation right the secular humanists these people even hold to this as a valuable rule for life treat others the way that you want to be treated now I can say almost everybody except for People who are, are maybe more Darwinian, like, that, that's a whole different worldview. Like, it's not like treat others how you want to be treated. It's like devour other people so you don't get devoured. That's a whole different thing. But everybody else has some sort of statement, something that gravitates into the same thing that Jesus is saying. And basically, it's, it's like solid advice, right? This is good advice for any human that doesn't want to be a jerk. It's like I tell my kids this all the time. It's like, dude, just stop me. It's, it's a good rule for life. Now, while there's all kinds of similarities, we see this repeated over and over um, in the culture and different religions, um, these similarities between what, what is being said by the culture at large or other religions, what Jesus has, there's actually, there's actually a difference here in what Jesus says to what others. Now, to be completely honest, this statement, many of, of the other religions have this kind of a statement that predates Jesus, um, there's old Buddhist statements, the, the hurt, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Um, there's Chinese philosophy, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Right? These are all statements that predate Jesus here as he's on the mountainside. There's even a Jewish rabbi, first century, very famous, the Hillel. He says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor." Now, there's similarities here, but what Jesus says is profound and unique for a couple reasons. First of all, for inflection, and second of all, for aim. All of these other statements are, are voiced in a sort of restrictive way. They, they, the inflection is negative. Don't do bad things to other people. Don't do evil stuff. They merely prohibit unfair and mean spirited treatment so if if you just withhold right you you sort of pull back and refrain from doing bad stuff, then you sort of you know you're winning at the rule but Jesus says this a little bit different; he says it with a positive inflection, so it's not just restrained from doing bad things or treating people unfairly or or, or doing evil deeds. Jesus is saying. Actively do good. Do unto others what you would want done to you. Now this might seem like a small change but it's quite for profound because all of the other philosophies, all the other religions basically say, hey, put your head down. Like stay in your lane. You do you, right? Don't, don't, don't make life hard for other people. But Jesus is actually saying, hey, you should get out of your lane in order to help other people. If you were in their shoes, what would you want from them to you? Right, Jesus is putting forward it in a positive way. Do good, right? This is one of the things, I got it right up here, this little bookmark, right? One of the big prayers that we've been praying for this year. No more, do good, joyfully endure, worship hard. Jesus is saying actively pursue good. Now some people hear this and it's like, okay, this sounds nice in theory, but like, how do I actually do this? Like, how am I, like, first of all, at what point do I, like, draw the line? Because if I want to do to others is what I would want done to myself. Like, there's literally a million people, billions of people in this world. How do I know, know who I should be doing this to? Right? It's easy to get overwhelmed with this. And, and, and you're not alone, because even when Jesus is, is preaching on the same thing, he's he actually, he's preaching about like the, the greatest commandment um, is to love God with all your all, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbors as yourself. And, and, and one of the religious leaders in the day is like, well, who's my neighbor, right? Who, who does this apply to? Who am I supposed to do unto as I would want done to me? It's a question mark. When Jesus kind of moves forward with that, with the answer in, the, in the, the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, the answer to this question, like who you do this unto, is whoever God puts in your way. like Whoever God puts in your immediate vicinity here, the people that, that you're intersecting lives with, these are the ones who you are to do unto, regardless of race, of gender, of political views, of socioeconomic status, Jesus is saying, whoever is put in your path, right, there's no prerequisite for this. It's whoever is put in your path, do unto them as you would want done to you. This is what the calling of the golden rule is. Now, it might sound simple, really straightforward, but this is actually really complex. Like, it runs against the grain of how we're wired. Because what happens is even though, you know, even though I, I want to do good for myself, I, I love myself, you know, even though I have this, my tendency is to be so inwardly focused. My sinful nature has me curved in on myself so my blinders are put up and I can't see the needs of other people. I'm only focused on myself and what I have and so my flesh gets in the way. I can't do this well. I get, I get impatient. I get bullish, right? I just get self-centered. It gets so hard to do this because this, this act, the golden rule, is contrary to our human nature. And so in, in his providence, in his grace, Jesus gives us a community of people to practice this with. Right? God puts us in a community, a missional community, a, a church family where we can practice living out this golden rule. And guess what? You're probably gonna be bad at it to start with. Like that's the reality. You're, gonna, you're not gonna be a great you know, student of the golden rule. You're, you're gonna flub it up a lot. But Jesus gives us a community to practice this. And, and in this community, it's a beautiful yet messy expression of the kingdom of heaven. It points to this, this beautiful dance, of the kingdom of God. Now in order to follow the golden rule and to do it well, we have to become good listeners. This is one of the values that we have at Sacred City. We, we talk about our identity in the gospel being family, missionary, servants, and learners. And, and in these identities, there's natural rhythms that flow out of that. And one of the rhythms that we talk about is being a good Listener. We listen to the needs of our missional community family, right? We listen to the needs of people that we're on mission to. And if we don't listen, we won't be able to meaningfully do unto others that we would want done to us. Right? We, we don't know how to step into their, uh, their needs. So if, if, if our eyes are shut off, if our ears are blocked up, then we can't actually do the golden rule. And so we have to have these open eyes and ears in order to bless and to serve people in tangible ways. Right? When, when, when people in our missional community are saying, hey, I'm in a financial bind here. Well, well, well if that were you, what would you want? Maybe some help. It might be giving them a gift, or it might be helping them kind of sort through the logistics of getting their feet on stable ground, financially speaking. Right? if somebody comes down with sickness or COVID or whatever it would be, it's like they're kind of laid up a bit, you know. It's like, well, we can meet their needs by providing meals, running grocery errands. Or somebody in your mission community talks about how their marriage is strained and, and it's been so long since they've had a date night. I mean, like months and months. It's like you step into that. Hey, oh, hey, we'll take your kids so you can go out. Right? If we're not listening, we won't find ways to practice the golden rule. Now, it's not just in doing things, it's not just in, in action, it's not just in giving gifts. Part of this is also just in using our words, right? We we can bless and encourage one another, right? So if you know somebody's just going through a hard time, maybe they're in a funk, in a season of depression, that they're sorting through some hard things in their life, like one of the things that you can do to step into that, to do unto others as you would want done to you, is to give them words of affirmation, of encouragement. Hey, I'm praying for you, brother, That's some very practical ways that we get to practice the golden rule within the context of our missional communities. But there's also a spiritual dimension to this. right? The the spiritual dimension to the golden rule is that we're pointing people back to God. Now that's the whole point of the law and the prophets. So Jesus roots us in here. He he says, hey, do whatever you want, uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, uh, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is rooting this whole thing about doing to others as you would want done to you in the law and the prophets, which is all about pointing people back to God. See, the law shows people what it looks like to live a life near to God. Right? If you're breaking God's commandments, if you're pushing him away, right, say, hey, I, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. You're distancing yourself from God, right? The the law shows us this is what it looks like to live a life next to God. The prophets, what were they doing? They were calling sinners back to God. Hey, you've lost your way. You veered off course. The deceitfulness of your own heart is tanking you. Come back to God. That's the whole point of it. It's about living a life near to God. Now let me ask you, in your missional community, do you see the spiritual dimension of practicing the golden rule being worked out? By that, are are you taking part in calling people back to God in your missional community? Are you calling people to repentance and faith? Are you saying, look brother, Here you are, I think you're out of step with the gospel. We see this in in, in the in the epistle of Galatians, right? Paul confronts Peter. Your, your, Your actions is out of step with the gospel. And so there's this call to repentance. Turn back to the gospel and believe. Or are you letting lost sheep wander? Or are you calling a truce with sin? It's like, okay, that, that sounds like a messy thing that I don't really want to step into. We'll just, we'll sort this out in you know six months. And, and guess what? By six months, it's going to be a catastrophe. See, the spiritual dimension of practicing the golden rule is calling people back to God. The whole point of the law and the prophets is this. And you might sit there and you think, well, this this kind of sounds invasive. It sounds like, if I'm in missional community long enough, I'm probably gonna get called out on my sin. Right, somebody's gonna probably say to me, hey, have you ever thought about this? And, and it's fair, like you might be thinking, I'm not sure if I really want that. I'm not sure if I really want people to kind of poke and prod at my heart in that, that way. Now, I think that's probably true. In the moment, nobody wants that. Like it's a whole saying about discipline. In the moment, nobody likes Discipline. But ultimately, if your heart really belongs to Jesus, then you will want this. You'll want this for yourself. You want people to kind of call you back to Jesus as you veer away. And if you want this for yourself, then we do it for others. See, this is the spiritual dimension of practicing the golden rule of calling people back. Now before we jump into this, and you go all bull in a china shop sort of scenario, right? It's like, I'm gonna call, Everybody in my MC is a sinner. I'm going to tell them this week. <laughs> right? Before you go all crazy like that, the golden rule also informs how we go about calling people back to God. See, nobody wants to get confronted in their sin and then get beat up about it. Nobody wants to get dragged through the mud. Nobody wants to be humiliated as their sin is acknowledged for what it is. Nobody wants to feel judged and condemned. Nobody wants to feel like they're in this legalistic, tight-wound community, right? Nobody wants that. And when the church is functioning like that, we're missing the golden rule. We're not listening to Jesus. We're doing something completely different. The way that we go about doing this is gracefully with love. Ephesians talks about speaking truth and love. Now, I think one of the most compelling places in the New Testament uh, that, that speaks of this is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, now, the, this kind of, what he's talking about caught in sin, caught in transgression, isn't like, aha, I got you. It, it's more like a, a wounded and vulnerable animal that has its foot caught in a snare. Right? That, that's the imagery. If your foot is caught, so you see somebody in your missional community that is twisted up in this web of sin. Right? Now, th- th- there's a difference. Like To speak to that kind of person who's found themselves caught and snared in sin and somebody who willingly gives themselves over and over and over to sin, there, there's a bit of a different conversation that happens here. But, but if we're saying, hey, this person that's found themselves caught in sin, he says, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone is caught in sin, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, when missional community is functioning the way that it ought to be functioning? There is this healthy balance of, of confrontation and gospel application, right? It's like, it's like pedals on a bicycle, okay? We, we confront our sin, and we confess our own sin at that. Like some, you probably don't need to wait to be confronted. It's like you, you have the permission to go ahead and can, confess your sin to your brothers and sisters so they can pray for you, Right? But it's this confrontation and gospel application. And when those two things are happening over and over and over, we start to create a gospel community, right? a gospel culture where the golden rule is, is applied in the different facets of life. And you see this person who's caught and twisted up in sin, then restored, right? this sort of reconciliation. They're, they're brought to a better place. No longer are they looked down on, but they're restored. They're elevated to a place and done so in a, in a spirit of gentleness. See, this is what it looks like for the Golden Rule to be worked out, right? Calling people back to God in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what this shows us is, is in the Golden Rule, the ultimate aim is not to make better humans. The ultimate aim of like other philosophies, other religions, is to make better humans. That, that's what it's about. The golden rule is to make you a better human. But in the gospel, right in Christianity, Jesus' golden rule, his aim is to bring people nearer to God. This is why Jesus is completely different from other religions and philosophies. It's not just becoming better people, but becoming godly people. God-loving people. And when this happens, right, in the context of community, you get multiple people strung together that are doing this. The effects of this are, are life-giving. right? The effects of this are, are trust-building, joy-expanding. This is the key to better marriages, more meaningful friendships. Right? This is the key to making our church the best church in the Quad Cities. And I'm not really concerned about that, but it's inevitably going to happen if we're practicing the golden rule. It's a command to do good. Now just imagine for a moment here the effect that if if half of the 40,000 people in the city of Moline would commit themselves to following the golden rule according to how Jesus instructs it, what kind of a city would we have? Can you imagine how fun of a city this would be to live in? Like, people would be flocking, you know, like, I'm going to be honest with you, people are exiting, you know, you talk about Chicago, you know, people are exiting Chicago, getting out of Chicago, for whatever reason, I've got my opinions, but it's like, people are exiting Illinois, but wouldn't it be crazy if the kingdom of heaven was manifested in power, manifested in love as Christians, brothers and sisters are, are loving each other as they would want to be loved? See, that would get people to stick around, regardless of how high taxes are, or who's the governor. This is, this statement, this statement that Jesus makes, right, the golden rule, hey, do unto others as you want done to you. Widely accepted, yet, the next statement he makes is often rejected it's like you go to one end of the spectrum right of the offensive spectrum like this is something everybody can get on board with and then he says something else which is like really offensive to a lot of people see where there's a consensus on verse 12 and the golden rule verses 13 and 14 could not be more offensive and this is something that i think as christians we tend to forget that jesus says a lot of offensive things we tend to apply this sort of Caleb filter on Jesus where he only says what's positive and encouraging and uplifting, right? Only the stuff that you slap on a coffee mug or embroider on a pillow or whatever you weirdos do. It's like Jesus only says the happy clapping. He wants to be your valentine. He's gonna whisper sweet nothings into your ear. Like Jesus, okay, Jesus has a lot of beautiful and assuring things to say to us. But there's a lot of really confrontational things, a lot of really hard things, a lot of things that people, modern readers, would look at and say, this is narrow-minded. This is not politically correct. Like Jesus, it sounds like you're off your rocker. Now, the mark of a true disciple is not somebody who who cherry picks things that they like from Jesus. So it's like I'm gonna take all the positive things that Jesus says. A mark of a true disciple is you take Jesus and all that he says as one whole and you build your life on that. That's a mark of a true disciple. Now there's, there's a really interesting scenario um, in John chapter six um, where Jesus is saying, first of all, he talks about the resurrection as this like, glorious, awesome thing that he's presenting this vision of, and then he goes into the, talking about the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, if like you're not a Christian and you read this, it's like, Jesus is weird. He's talking about eating his body, like eating flesh and drinking his blood. It's like vampire stuff. It's like, and people that are listening to Jesus talk about this are weirded out. He's like, they're literally saying, this, is, this saying is too hard for me to understand. And what happens is you get one group of people that they like some of the stuff that Jesus says, but then they come to this stuff and they eventually walk away from Jesus. They say, "Well, yep, Jesus, you're kind of a lunatic. I'm going to be on like it's the whole C.S. Lewis like Jesus is either a Lord or he's a lunatic. Right? There's no middle ground here." That, that, that Jesus has sort of a, a polarizing effect. You either accept Jesus or you reject Jesus. There's no neutral ground. But the true disciples, Jesus looks to the 12 and says, hey, I just said a bunch of weird stuff. Are you guys gonna jet too? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right, that's a mark of a true disciple. You're staking your life on everything that Jesus says. Right? You, you accept it. You embrace it. Our, our culture is cool with taste testing some of the things that Jesus has to say. It's like going to Sam's Club. You know, get the little sample. It's the best of Jesus. We're cool with sampling and saying, hey, we're spiritually searching. But as soon as you say, hey, I found the way. like I I found Jesus. This is the way you get labeled as a bigot. You get get labeled as being narrow-minded. Because Jesus is making exclusive claims here in verses 13 and 14. He says this. I've got to flip back to Matthew 7. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now what, what Jesus is saying here is literally the words narrow is in here. It's like it sounds narrow mighty saying there's two ways there's two paths there's two gates there's two outcomes and when Jesus says this our our pluralistic society just pushes back at this it's like Jesus there's not two roads there's many roads and they all lead to the same place Right, all roads lead to God. That, that's, that's what like a universalist, pluralistic mindset. It's like this this, this you know, gets you to God, this gets you to God, this gets you to God. But Jesus, no, 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 no. There's two roads. There's one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction, and that's it. Option one, option two. And people hear this and they push back. How, how could you say this, Jesus. Now what's interesting about this statement that Jesus makes is that he associates the broad and the easy path with destruction and the narrow and the hard path with life. Now typically, it would be the inverse. Like broad, like the broad way has sort of like positive implications like freedom, it's opened up, like there's room to move and live. And the narrow carries negative connotations right it's you're you're pinched you're squeezed in you're 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 getting squashed and suffocated right but jesus says actually this is what's what's so unique about the kingdom of heaven it's upside down right in the kingdom of heaven it's the inverse it's it's the narrow that opens up to the broad right it's the narrow that opens up to the way of life but the broad eventually filters into the way of destruction Now Christianity, from the outside, looks restrictive and narrow. Jesus is saying there's one way to heaven. It looks restrictive and narrow-minded, but when you get in it, it opens up to freedom. It's like a channel that opens up to the sea, right? This, this straight, you, you get in it, it's very tight, very tight, very, and then boom, There you are in the ocean, all the freedom, right? This is why James calls this the law of liberty. It it seems like it's sort of like paradoxical in a sense. It seems narrow, but it opens up to the good life. Now, the alternatives to Christianity look broad and spacious, they look tolerant. It looks like there's all kinds of freedom, but as soon as you get inside of them, they are cramped and narrow. Eventually, right, you follow this broad path, which is easy, Jesus says. It's easy to trade this path. You eventually get choked out because it ends with destruction. Now Jesus says, hey, I want to show you how to avoid this. Right? The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to show us the good life, right? The, the human flourishing, to have the life to the fullest, Jesus I want to show you how to avoid that path of destruction so you can find true life, and he says you have to enter by the narrow gate. That's the only way to live the good life. There's no way to live the good life aside from going through the narrow gate. Now, as we look at this, we have to notice the order here. Because Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, travel the path and then get to the gate. He says there's a gate which opens up to a path. It says, first enter the narrow gate, and then you'll be on. Well, it's the hard way. Let me be honest, it's hard. People tell you come to Jesus, become a Christian, your life gets easy. It's a myth. Like, you're, Jesus told us already: blessed are you when you're persecuted on my behalf. But religion flips us around. And says, put the path first, right? Live the good life first. Do everything in your power to prove that you're good, right? Be self-disciplined, be resolute, and maybe if you if your good outweighs the bad, maybe you'll come to the gate and just maybe, fingers crossed, hoping that gate will open up for you. See, that, that's the story of religion. Now, this is why, like religion is the reason why the true way is seldom found. Jesus says, the way to life, those who find it are few. The, the broad path, the broad gate that leads to destruction, there's many on it. That's, a reason, that's why it's wide, that's why it's broad. See, religion siphons people away from the true Jesus. You can immerse yourself in religion and trying to be a good person that you completely miss the narrow gate of Jesus but Christianity won't let you do that. Christianity is all about Jesus from beginning to end because Jesus is coming to us on this mountainside not just as a good teacher to point us to the gate, to point us to the way, to point us to the good life. Jesus is himself the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father except through him. He is the gate And Jesus is standing here on the mountainside saying, this is your only hope if you want to live the good life. You have to go through me. Now this is why in the previous passage that Ash preached on last week, we see this language, seek, find, knock. Like these things are connected here, people. It's like if you can find if you can seek and then find the narrow gate, ask and it will be opened for you. See, this is the good news of the gospel. We don't have to stand outside the gate and wonder if it's going to open up for us. We don't have to stand and wonder, man, did, was I good enough this week? Did I live a, a life that, you know, did, did I really embody the golden rule very well this week? And, and hopefully... Hopefully it opens up. No, the gospel says that Jesus doesn't turn away anybody who calls on him. The gospel says the gate will open. Now, here, here's, here's what I mean. To go back to Genesis chapter three, Eden, all right, you with me here? Eden, this beautiful paradise. If sin weren't introduced into this world, we'd all still be in Eden and we would be living this flourishing life. We wouldn't know the difference. We wouldn't know what it's like to be under this cursed you know, place. But Adam and Eve chose to reject God's way, so they opted to do their own thing. They pushed away, so they broke the law, the one rule, right? Don't eat this tree, right? They pushed away from God. They put some separation between God, and and basically they're saying, hey, I want to have the kingdom without the king. That's the whole concept of secular humanism. I want the kingdom of God without the king to tell me what to do. I just want it my way. And it's never gone well for human beings. It's never gone well. It always ends in destruction. And as they get removed from the Garden of Eden, God blocks off the gate into the garden. And he puts an angel there with a flaming sword. This is real. I'm not making this up. It's in Genesis chapter 3. An angel is guarding the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword. Right, the way that you want to get back. It's like inside of, the, inside of Eden is the good life. Inside of Eden is a life lived next to God, within the confines of God. It's the law of liberty. All of that, it's there. That, that's what we're homesick for. But there's a, a flaming sword, an angel with a flaming sword guarding the gate. How are we ever gonna get in? If God is holy and we're sinful, right, they're not compatible. See, the way the gate is opened is because Jesus took the flaming sword for us. See, Jesus took the sword and it broke him in half. He was crucified. His life, his blood was spilled out. And he did this so that we, through faith in him, as we receive his righteousness in the gospel, could pass through and regain entry. See, this is how we know the gate is open. Jesus opened the gate. It was his perfect life, not mine, that opens the gate. And in this, Jesus opens up the way to life. It's hard, right? Stay around for a little bit, right? Give your life to Jesus. You're gonna find that it's not necessarily roses and daisies. There's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of joy. But there's difficulty But Jesus opens up the way to the good life for us, life to the fullest. Now let me just tie these last two things together as I close. Let's take the gate to the good life and the golden rule. How do these things, like why are they smashed right next to each other? I think it's because God really wants his people to be on mission. God really wants his people to be proclaimers of the kingdom of heaven, of the good news of the gospel, to be evangelistic. Now, if you're a Christian and you've walked through the gate of Christ, you're on the hard way. It's hard way, but it's, it's the way to the good life. The most loving thing that you can do to people who are not on the same path, right? because Jesus tells us there's many people who aren't on this path, Like, you know people at work, in your neighborhood, in your family who aren't Christians, who aren't on, who have not passed through the narrow gate yet. And the most loving thing to do would be for you to tell them about Jesus, this narrow gate, the way that they can have the good life and the way to eternal life with him. There's a a YouTube video of Penn Jillette, half of Penn and Teller, like the famous magician duo. And I remember seeing this uh, through Porterbrook material a couple years ago, many years ago. He basically tells a story about how a guy saw a show and came up and was hanging out afterwards and gave him a Bible. and you know, Penn is, is a, you, know, self-proclaimed atheist. He really doesn't want anything to do with God, but there was some guy. That cared so deeply about him that he came up afterward and said, "Hey, I appreciate you. What you're doing. I love the entertainment. I love what you do. Um, but I, I'm concerned for your soul. He, here's a Bible. Would you, would you read this? And like maybe we can talk, email, interface a little bit about what you think about this because I think that this is really crucial for you. And, and Penn, in this, you know, I don't know if he read the Bible or anything, but but Pen Gillette says, listen, it." If you're a Christian and you believe that you have the only way to eternal life, that you are, have the only access to life with the Father, to the good life, how unloving is it of you to stand back and let people who are going on the path of destruction to keep on going? It's like standing back and you see somebody in the middle of the road and a bus is coming and you don't do anything to help them. You don't shout, say, hey, hey, move, look out. Yet that's how many of us are. Right? We, get, we feel weird about sharing our faith? I mean, just when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? See, what Jesus is calling us to do with the the good life, the gate to the good life, and the golden rule meet together, he's calling us to a life of gospel witness, to live godly lives, but also share, like speak and proclaim the truth about Jesus. C.S. Lewis says the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. See, we can put on a nice little you know, Sunday gathering. We can do you know, the whole rigmarole of missional communities. But if we're not drawing men into Christ, we've lost our purpose. We've lost the function, the witness, the whole purpose of the church being here. Now this isn't some sort of like legalistic thing like share your gospel and then Jesus will be happy for you. This is an overflow, right? Like if you really understand the gospel, if the gospel, if you're swept up in the story, if Jesus is sweet, if he's the most beautiful thing, the most true thing in your life, then your natural progression is going to be to share the gospel with other people. Right? To do unto others. To tell unto others what you would want told to you. See, this is what Jesus wants to do with the church. There's this Internal family business, right? How how we live out the golden rule to one another. But there's also this reality of hey, we're missionaries here. We're sent to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. I pray that we would be a church that lives out both through the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are the one who has the words to eternal life. Where else shall we go? We pray this morning that you would soften our hearts to receive this word this morning. We pray that you would refine us, that, that we wouldn't just be people who read the word, but the word reads us, that challenges us, that pushes us deeper and deeper into your arms, Jesus. We thank you for taking the sword for us, that we may gain access to the kingdom of heaven, that we may now on, from this day forth, live a life near to God, keeping in step with the spirit through repentance and faith. Help us. We ask this in Jesus' name.